Father, we give our attention to your word now. The entrance of your word brings light. You communicate to us through words, through thoughts, through pictures, through parables, through stories, so that you impress upon us the things that you want us to know, to understand, to take to heart, to put into action. So Holy Spirit, be the illuminating uh, revealer of the heart and mind of God to our hearts and minds today, we pray. Amen. Continuing on with stewardship, and uh, the, last, the two headlines last Sunday were these two, do you remember them? Yep. God owns everything you own, yep. or you thought you owned, and God owns you, yep. twice over because he's your creator, and then if he is your redeemer, you're a Christian, you're a child of God, then he owns you twice over, yep. uh, you are his servant. Let's define again what we mean by stewardship. By the way, you know, this thing about the Lord's servant, the Lord's servant. Yeah, I'm, I'm a servant of the Lord, but so are you. And God forbid that I ever make you my servants. God forbid that. We are servants of the Lord together. Yes. All right? Yes. Amen. Yes. The stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. That's a good definition. So God is owner, master, king, sovereign. We all are his stewards, his servants. And in his teaching, both in parables and direct statements, the Lord Jesus presents these four principles to us. The principle of ownership, that God is in charge. Second, the principle of responsibility, that we're called as God's stewards to manage what belongs to him. And while God has graciously entrusted us with the care and development and enjoyment of everything he owns as his stewards, we're responsible to manage his business, his holdings, his things well, according to his desires and purposes. The principle of accountability, so I'll go on a bit quickly, uh, we're called, we will be called to give an account for how we've administered everything we've been given, including our time, our money, our abilities, the information we have, the wisdom, relationships, and authority. And then there's the principle of reward. Faithful stewards who do the master's will with the master's resources will be rewarded by him incompletely in this life, but perfectly and fully in the next. We looked at, low, at uh, ownership last time. We're now looking at these three. Uh, Responsibility, accountability, and reward. We are stewards, people with responsibility from God, and we're accountable to God. We can look for his reward when we do well. So we're going to look at these three T's that we mentioned last week. Time, talent, and treasure. Though, in fact, we're going to look at treasure next week. So treasure hunt is next Sunday. Today, looking at time and talent particularly, and again, mostly the words of Jesus. We are stewards of time, which is to say, of your whole life. Not just of your free time, or of your, quotes church time, of all your time. Amen. Every day that you're given. How do you manage yourself? Are you well disciplined? Do you eat well, but not overeat? Do you work hard? Do you exercise to keep yourself strong and fit? Do you sleep well? Do you actually go to bed rather than stay up watching silly movies? Or something? Do you know that you burn more energy sleeping than watching TV? Nearly like would do us a lot of us some good, wouldn't it? Do you read and study to learn? Or listen if you're not good at reading? Do you keep your heart, as we looked at last Sunday, before God? 
maintain good attitudes, deal with bad thoughts and, you know, uh, those feelings that come. We all have feelings, we all have thoughts. Do you deal with them? Because you need to, you know, you need to keep yourself before the Lord. Do you manage yourself well? Because before you're a steward of anything else, you're a steward of you. You manage yourself, heart, mind, body. How do you manage your time? There's work to be done, but there's also home and family to be tended to. And besides that, there's being a Christian and investing time in his kingdom, which includes fellowship with one another. So we're building one another up together. Do you plan your day or does it just happen to you? Do you plan times of rest and recreation? One day off in seven to get some rest. What you don't plan for will generally not get done. And if you write a to-do list and don't do it all in one day, at least you did some of it. You set out to do something rather than just have the time for it to away. What you don't plan for will almost certainly not get done. So having an agenda, having a list that you're managing your time, you're saying, this is what I'm going to get done today. And include in that things that might seem obvious, like I'm going to spend some time reading my Bible. I'm going to spend some time praying. I'm going to go for a walk and pray, so I get a bit of exercise as well. You know? How many times in the scripture does you read that so-and-so walked with God? That's when they communed with him. That's when they talked with him. You know, people say, we're very busy. Yes, we are. We live in a very busy world. But a good part of today's business is the time that we allow these things, news, social media, texting, emails, TV, entertainment, to claim from our time, from our schedule. We're distracted. We allow the time to be frittered away. My phone tells me that I, I, put more, I spent more time looking at my phone last week than I did the week before, and I'm trying to figure out where and why. Many of us could reclaim at least an hour a day, perhaps more, by limiting our use of those things. By saying, I'm switching off. I'm dialing down. What, an, what a radical idea. Switch it off. I remember an old friend of mine years ago saying, you want to hear the voice of God? Turn everything else off and tune in. You know, if you've got the radio playing, if you've got Radio 2 playing or whatever else, you know, you're walking around saying, you can't walk around and keep saying, Lord, speak to me. You're filling your ears with stuff. Turn, what's, turn, off what's, turn off the noise and you might hear him. Yeah? We need to dial down a whole heap of stuff because we, we, are, we are being pushed to being too busy. We need to take charge of these things and manage them. All right? Have time for work and then stop work. Yeah? a certain point in the day. And you eat, you eat and you relax and you're with people. You know? I could show you a video, but I didn't download it yet, of you know, a family sitting around the table. It's in America, of course, most of the videos are. They're in a table, you know, and everybody at the table is, is on the phone or something. You know, so they're eating their food and on the phone, eating their food and on the phone. And it, you know, and it says, family time, question mark? Family time? No one's talking to one another. No one's talking about the day and about life and about faith and about just stuff. Because you text and leave. Switch off and tune in to people and tune in to the Lord. Give time to connecting with people, family, friends, fellowship with believers. Let me ask you something. This is a hard question. Does the Lord get the first share of your time and attention or scraps? 
The Lord Jesus in his parables warns us about servants who become lazy or drunk or indisciplined, unproductive, unjust. Other servants are unforgiving to their servants. Let me read this to you. I wasn't intending to, but let me read this to you. Matthew 24, verse 42 to the end of chapter 24. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. If the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he'd have been on the alert and wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master puts in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. That's all of his master's possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place for the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus then goes on to talk about wise and foolish virgins who had the same opportunities. They were in the same position. They could have made the same choices, but half of them made a bad choice. They didn't prepare. They didn't have oil in the lamps and they had a nap instead of waiting. The lesson is this, in all of these teachings of Jesus, use your life and time well to serve the Lord. You get one go at this. We get one go at this, folks. Use your life and time well. Remember, the whole of our being and the whole of our life is to be lived for the glory of God. Take my glasses up there. Romans 1, therefore, brothers, or ladies too, by the mercies of God, I beg you, urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your reasonable worship do not be conformed to this age to the way the world is around us but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God we give ourselves to the Lord to live for him as living sacrifices God doesn't want you dead, or you would be. He wants you alive to live for him. And not just heart. This, this is a tricky thing that we've got into in, in past decades. I'll give Jesus my heart. Yeah, he wants all of you, actually. Yeah, People think they can give God their heart, but keep their body for their purposes. No. Body, soul, mind, heart. All of you to him. That's why it says present your bodies and not hearts. Because we would be tricky with that, wouldn't we? Oh, I'll give him my heart. No, he wants all of you. From the heart outwards. What does God want from me? He doesn't want anything from me. He wants me. He wants me. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Famous scripture. Jesus quoted it a couple of times. Love the Lord, that's Yahweh, your heart, your God, with all your heart, but goes on, with all your soul, which is your mind, your faculties, your intelligence, and with all your strength, your physical being. That's why sometimes we get physical in worship. Because to love the Lord your God is not just, oh, it's in here somewhere. It's all of me for all of him. Okay, I'm making you laugh. It's all right, you can laugh at me. 
which is to say, with all your heart, all your mind, and the whole of your physical being, every part of our lives, every part of our lives, every hour of the day is to be lived as a Christian, a believer, a child of God, a lover of God, a servant of the Most High. Parallel scripture to that one is Joshua. This is Joshua speaking. You know, he's taken over from Moses and he's saying similar things. Love the Lord Yahweh, your God. Walk in all his ways. Keep his commands. Remain faithful to him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. There's no half measures here, are there? Half-hearted won't do. Jesus spoke to one of the churches in Revelation and said, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. I hate lukewarm. Yeah, exactly. I'll spit you out of my mouth. I don't like lukewarm. Make your mind up. Do you want to be hot or do you want to be cold? But lukewarm won't do. Part-time, pastime Christian faith is such a poor, shabby shadow of the real thing. We should, we should like really, really be ashamed of it. Part-time, pastime thing. We're stewards of, first of all, talents, which we say is gifts or abilities. Now, the word talent is interesting. It's got a bit of history here. The Lord Jesus told two parables which involved talents. In the first in Matthew 18, a servant owes 10,000 talents to his master. That's a million quid or more, right? It's like mega. He owes him a fortune, absolute fortune, this servant owes his master. That's what talents are. In the second story, Matthew 25, which we'll come to, some servants were given different numbers of talents by their master and had to give an account of their use. The Greek word is talenton, and it's a particular measure of silver or gold. It's one of those words that from Greek through Latin into English never got translated, never became like a sovereign or a pound or something. It stayed the same. And even in medieval times, a merchant knew exactly what a talent was. It was a measure a weight of gold or silver. But when in early English Bibles the word talent turned up, because it had turned up in the Latin Bibles from the Greek, and preachers were saying it doesn't just mean you know, a, a piece of money, it refers to you, your gifts and your abilities and things that God's given you. Guess what? The word talent switched meaning. So now it means you know, what we do, what we are. So when you go to a talent show, you don't go to look at coins, you go to look at people performing stuff. Don't you? Because we've changed the meaning of the word. By the way, that there is a silver talent. They still make them. You can buy a silver talent, one troy ounce of silver. A silver talent. We're going to start with the Matthew 25 parable, the parable of the talents. It's part of what we call the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus, having been in Jerusalem, leaves Jerusalem, he's, he's talked about the destruction of the temple, and they're up, going up on the hillside, they're up on the hillside looking over, they're on the Mount Olivet, the Mount of Olives, and they, the disciples ask him two key questions. All right, And they say, when will these things be? The things what? The things he's talked about. The, the, the Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by armies. It's going to be overthrown by, by foreign armies. The temple's going to be destroyed. Wow, wow, that's bad stuff, man. When will that, when's that going to happen? And then they also ask him another question, which they think is connected. It may or may not be. When are you coming into your kingdom? When do you get to be king? And we get to be princes kind of thing, you know? When does the kingdom start, Jesus? 
So these things is about the destruction of Jerusalem and the kingdom, the coming of his kingdom is, is about his kingdom coming. But what they don't realize is his kingdom is coming partly now, but completely in the future, at the end of the age. So here's what Jesus begins to say to them. And we pick it up after he's talked about the story of the wise and foolish virgins, about being ready or not being ready for the coming of the Lord, which will not be known to you. Notice this, it will not be known to us before it happens. All sorts of people want to predict it. Jesus says you won't know. Right? End of, as they say. So Matthew 25 and verse 13. Therefore be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. It's just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves or servants and turned over his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. Whether it's a talent of silver or gold makes a heap of difference because a talent of silver uh, compared to gold, the gold will be worth hundreds of times more than a talent of silver. A talent of silver might be worth some hundreds of pounds, but a talent of gold will be worth thousands of pounds. To another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who received five talents went to put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. He doubled his money again. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the slaves came and settled accounts with them, the day of accounting. The man who had received five talents approached and presented five more and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more. His master said to him, same thing. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid. And I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you can have it back now. Here's what is yours. But his master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. I, if you knew or you thought that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered. You should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I had returned, I, you would, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now in Luke, there's a similar story. But it's different. It's in a different setting. It's the parable of the ten minas. And a mina is worth a sixtieth of a talent. So there's a small amount of money. Maybe tens of pounds, not hundreds of pounds. And it's a story that Jesus tells at the beginning of Holy Week, when they're only going up to Jerusalem. Not on the Mount of Olives and he's already been around Jerusalem and he's already, you know, entered there and, you know, Hosanna to 
the king and, and, and then he's walked around and he's prophesied and so on. This is the beginning and Luke uses the word mina, which is just the Greek word meaning simply coin. In this story, every servant just gets one coin each. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. They're going up to Jerusalem. They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. Are your, are your, your tumblers working here? Who's this about who goes away to receive the kingdom and comes back? Okay, three people whispered Jesus. You're right. You're right. He's talking about himself. Then he called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Happened in Eden. It happened in Jerusalem. We don't want this man. In fact, it was in Eden. It was God to rule over us. At his return, when the king returns, having been made king, he summoned those slaves he'd given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your coin has earned ten more coins. Well done, good slave, he told him, because you've been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. That's a big jump, isn't it? From a few hundred quid to ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your coin has made five coins. Well, he'd made five coins with the coin. So he said to him, you'll be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here's your coin. I kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you. You're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you don't sow. He told him, I'll judge you by what you've said, you wicked slave. If you thought I was a tough man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I sowed, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina, the coin, away from him and give it to the one who has ten. And they said to him, you know, the way we do, oh, that's not fair, is it? He said, master, he's already got ten. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. And for the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. When he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Talent in Matthew or Mina in Luke are sums of money, but the money symbolizes all that he's entrusted to us to manage. Ourselves, our time, our talents. In those two parables, the Lord Jesus clearly teaches that our king and master has given us responsibility, holds us accountable, and he will reward those who do well. Do you get it? Yes. He rewards and he wants them and he wants us to do well. The parable of the ten minas in Luke, of course, also has some very pertinent points. A nobleman or a prince that goes away and receives his kingdom. Subjects who reject him. He returns being made king and calls all his subjects and servants to account. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself there. But these parables also make two different points. In Luke, every servant gets the same amount. All right? In Matthew, 
they get different amounts and the, the, the amounts are much more. In the same way, in some ways, sorry, we are the same. We get one life. We all get 24 hours in a day to use as we choose, to manage as we see fit. And the gospel offers every one of us life through faith in Jesus. There are some things in which we are exactly the same. But there's other ways in which we are not the same. Whether by nature or by nurture or a combination of both, we do not have, all have the same IQ. We don't have the same skills. We don't have the same physical strength and so on. And no amount of equality agenda or political correctness can change those differences. They just are. We as human beings are equal in value, equal in dignity, equal under law, equal under the gospel. But we differ from one another in many ways. And some of those differences come down quite simply to this. It's how the Lord has made us and it's what he has given us. And the great danger in both stories is that somebody who's got less than someone else says, oh, I won't bother them. Do you get it? This is me, I've only got this. So I won't bother them. I won't lose it, but I won't use it. When the master called them to account, he said, I gave you these things to be used, not just to be kept. I don't want the same thing back. I want you to have gone and done something with it. And it's often in comparing ourselves with other people, we choose to make little or no effort with what we have been given by the Lord. I can't do what he or she can, so I won't bother. I'll just be. I've heard people say, I'll just be. No, you can't just be. That's the point. Go and do something. Go and multiply it. Go and put it to work. Put it to risk. Take some risks. Faith is sometimes about risk. That attitude and choice of action of, oh, I won't bother, I'll just be, receives stern rebukes in Jesus' teaching. So what has the Lord given to you, entrusted to you? What skills do you have? How has he equipped you? What can you get on and do that's, that's maybe different to other people, but it doesn't matter. Do you cover it up or do you use it? The value of any gift from God is in its use, not in you having it, but in you using it. When you use what you've been given, is it for your gain or for the good of others? In other words, who are you trading for? Self-advancement or kingdom advancement? For the good of people around you. We are stewards of our time. We're stewards of talents, which has become now, you know, what the Bible pictured them to be. Uh, our skills, our abilities. The things that God has equipped us with. The things we've learned and grown in along the way. We use them, we use them, we use them. We don't abuse them. We don't trade with them to make ourselves big or rich or whatever else. But we use them for the glory of God and the good of people. Amen? Amen. Talents. Thirdly, we are stewards of treasure, which we will come to next week. And I'll give you a warning now, I'll say it again next week, that when, there'll be moments next week when I said, in the next few moments, please don't say amen or hallelujah or anything, because you might be embarrassed, because I'll probably say something and then demolish it. So you, you don't want to say amen and have me weigh in on it, all right? So there'll be a kind of health warning about you. Usually, if you want to say amen and hallelujah, that'd be great. In fact, I wouldn't mind some more of it, to be honest. 
But, you know, next week I'll be saying some things that you've probably heard many times, but be careful because I may well just shoot it out the sky, having thrown it up in the air. We will look next week in particular at the teaching of Jesus. Again, the parables of Jesus concerning money and wealth. Here, minas and talents are images of, of not just wealth, but of everything else. But there are times when Jesus talks specifically about how we handle money and our attitude towards money and his statements concerning money and wealth. We'll come back to that next week. Many books and articles on stewardship only deal with handling money. That's too narrow a view of this subject for me. Stewardship includes how we handle not only money, but ourselves, our time, our uh, abilities, and so on. The Lord Jesus wants us, not just some cash from us. Then again, a lot of preaching and teaching about money, wealth, and prosperity is directly contrary to the teaching of the Lord Jesus. And I'm always calling us back to his word. But more on that next Sunday. Let's review what we've seen today. The principle of responsibility. We are responsible to the Lord to put to use what he has given us. Our time, our lives, our talents, our treasure. And to put them to use for his glory. We have authority to manage. We get to make decisions. We make use of and enjoy his gifts. We're to handle these things with faith which includes some risk. Sometimes we, 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 we feel, you know, I, I'm going to try to do this and it doesn't work. Do you know what? God's okay with that. Don't, get over it. Don't worry about it. You know? Doing the wrong thing, no, no, no. Okay, repent of that. But if you try to do something good and it didn't work, don't worry about it. It's okay. If you read the book of Acts realistically, not with a hyper-faith pair of glasses on, you'll see them trying this and it doesn't work. Having to go there and it didn't happen. We tried to go here, but Satan prevented us. What? We just rebuke him in the name. You know. No, Satan didn't let them. Another one, God didn't let them. But they found their way through. That's reading the Bible realistically. That's exactly what happened. And there's no, you know, warts and all. You read it right through. They didn't always sure-footedly walk the tightrope of God's will. They didn't. They had a go here and a go then. Some of it didn't work. It's okay. God's bigger than that. But he loves your faith. He loves you having a go and taking a risk for his glory. But an unused gift or skill is a waste. It's a waste of his resources. Where am I? <laughs> Remember... We're not building our little empire. We're building his kingdom. It's for his honor. It's for his glory. It's not the honor of our name. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name yes. be glory. Yes. And then there's the principle of accountability. We're accountable in life and at the end of life for our stewardship. We will all give account. A couple of scriptures, Hebrews 4.13. No creature... Is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed. Ooh, that's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? You know? Have you ever have a dream when you wake up and you're walking around and you're naked or something? It's a very common dream. You're fearing something. You're fearing being found out in some way. And it's like, ooh, terrible. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. Romans 10. You, why do you criticize your brother? Well, why do you look down on your brother? We will all stand before the tribunal, the judgment seat 
of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. When I was a kid, there'd be very somber gospel tracks going around, you know, uh, which sounded like the Northern Irish guy I heard preaching on the streets in Northern Ireland. I walked past like that, pretend I wasn't a Christian. What will you do with your soul when you're given account before the Lord? You know, it's, oh my God. Listen, folks, these things were not written to them out there. They were written to us in here. The New Testament was written to Christians. We will give an account. Of course, the world will as well. But the point here is it's written to us. We will all give account. Notice, though, how Paul puts it positively when he writes to the Corinthians. So we are also confident to know that while we're at body, at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We may be having a good time, but it's imperfect because we're not with him. For we walk by faith, not by sight. But we're confident and satisfied that when the time comes, we'll be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we're at home or away, but it's not about dead or alive there, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the tribunal, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what is done in the body, whether good or worthless. Now, Jesus stood before a tribunal, a judgment seat. It was the judgment seat of Pilate. One day we will stand before, not Pilate, but Jesus. No. Now. 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 <laughs> if, uh, if we're a child of God, when we stand there, we will not be condemned. We will not be damned. I'll use strong language, firm language so you get it. But we will be assessed. And there will be both rewards and rebukes on offer that day. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, he makes it his aim, and he invites them to make it their aim, to please the Lord, to be ready to come to the end of this life. It's in fact better for us to be brought to account now, or bring ourselves to account now, rather than at the end of life. To keep, as my old pastor said when I was just a kid, young, young man growing, keep short accounts with God, David. Keep short accounts with God. Don't despise the checks, the corrections, the chastening of the Lord. He would rather have us on track than waste our life and our opportunities. You see, the Lord really does want us to do well. So that, to come to my last point, I think it's my last point, so that he can reward us. The Lord Jesus often spoke about reward. Here are just a few examples. Matthew 5. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. It's not happening now, it's happening there. Well, that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Some Christians will endure in this life persecution, suffering and loss, but they will be greatly rewarded in heaven and the life to come. Do you believe that? Yes. Right. It's happening in the world today. Christian, we give to Bundeswehr. 
Christians are being oppressed and persecuted simply because they're Christians. It happens in Pakistan. Then Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of other people, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And he goes on to talk about three things, giving, praying, and fasting. And he says, do those things before an audience of one, your Father in heaven. Don't do it so people notice, because if they notice and give you a pat on the back, you've got your reward now. You want it to be seen, you want it to be applauded, there you go, you've got reward, go home. But if God has seen you and no one else has, he's banking your reward. He's saving a treasure for you because he's seen it and he's pleased. What doesn't he see? He sees everything. We will, he will reward us openly for what we've done secretly to please. Actually, he'll reward us in life as well as beyond life. There'll be some of that reward happening in life. Matthew 16, verse 27, which is about the last day. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And by the way, that's no secret, sneaky thing. Jesus comes and goes, no one saw him. This is, he comes with his angels in the glory of his Father. This is visible, it's loud, there's trumpets, there's shouting. Jesus has arrived, right? I don't believe in a secret coming. I believe in a very public coming of the Lord Jesus. Then he will reward each according to what he has done. We will be held to account for our time, our talents and our treasure, our lives, our skills, abilities, and how we've handled money. But if we've done well, we will be rewarded. Rewards and word the New Testament writers do not shy away from. You know, there's a prayer, I think it's the St. Ignatius of Loyola, which Maggie Thatcher quoted when she went into number 10 Downing Street for the first time, which made me even dislike the prayer more. But anyway. um, and it's, it's, it, part of the prayer is, and not to seek for any reward, save that of knowing that we do thy will. That is too spiritual. That is hyper-spiritual. Jesus wants us to have an eye on the reward. Not money, real treasure. He wants us to have a heart that yearns for well done. For true riches in the presence and glory of God. For the bank of heaven to be open to us and we enter into our inheritance. Scripture, uh, I haven't given you many scriptures on reward here. Look it up if you've got a way of doing Bible search. Look up, it's a thread of truth for the whole of scripture. Reward. God rewards us. Let me give you some headlines here. God does not pay us wages. He rewards those who seek him and serve him. See, your wages, you put in the effort, you put in the hours, at this rate, here's your wages. But we earn nothing from God. He treasures our values, the seeking, the working, the praying, the things that we do, and rewards us for them. Listen, five talents or five coins doesn't earn you five cities, does it? There's a disparity between the two. The reward is way beyond what you, the guy earned. Jesus, you know, in the parable, doesn't say, those are your wages then. He says, oh, my reward is this. The reward is not pay. It's not wages. It's reward because it comes from grace. In fact, Jesus told a story about this, you know, which would really upset some of us who have this sense of injustice. You know, people go to work in a field and some start right at the beginning of the day. 
And some people come at midday, and one guy comes one hour before the day finishes, and he gives the same money to all of them. Hang on, that's not fair. He only worked one hour. Who are you talking to? If I want to be generous, that's up to me, said the, said the, said the farmer. And that's a picture of God. He gives and rewards. He doesn't pay. He does pay. It's the wages of sin. That's what you get paid. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Grace, reward, favor. It's not earned. It's not earned. Do not imagine in your heart, oh, God owes me some stuff doesn't owe us anything. But he's generous. He rewards those with whom he is pleased. And his reward is great. His reward is great. In fact, he is our great reward. You know, the pictures in Revelation of, the, of heaven or the heavenly city, really, which is the new Jerusalem coming down from God. You know, gates of pearls and, and uh, uh, you know, pavements of gold. You know, and people say, oh, how wonderful. No, gold, you know, gold's just what you make the, make the road with. There's something far more valuable up there than that. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the glory of God. Those things become, what, you know, you, you like a string of pearls? We just use them for making doorposts here. <laughs> I'm cheesing you, but you get it. These things are just building materials. The, the, what's the big reward is far, far better than that. The things that human beings treasure in this life. Listen, the aim of a Christian is not just to escape hell and make heaven by the skin of your teeth. It's to come into eternal life with the commendation of our master. Yep, amen. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. I prefer the King James there. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Come and join me in my joy. So often in, in John's Gospel, Jesus is inviting us to come and share in his joy. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We don't invent joy. Jesus shares his joy with us. These principles are unshakable. Principle of ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward. They are foundations of God's covenant and kingdom. You think, well, I don't think it works like that. Well, I'm telling you it does, because it's the way Jesus says it. There's no exclusion clause. God is our creator and maker. We are his creatures. And in redemption, God in Jesus is our redeemer, and we are now his blood-bought children. We belong to the Lord. We are his servants, his stewards. And if you're a Christian, that's doubly so. There's no opt-out. But we get to choose. We can serve him with obedience or disobedience. We can serve him with gladness or with grumbling. We can serve him reverently or rebelliously. We can serve him willingly or willfully. It is, as we said last week, a matter of the heart. We're all stewards and servants of the Most High, one way or another. Serving him with joy is a choice that we make. 
The Lord Jesus has clearly and repeatedly stated that when he returns, he'll call every one of us to account and he will reward those who've done well. Do we fear that day, ignore that day, or prepare for that day? By seeking his kingdom, serving him with gladness, stewarding ourselves, our time, our talents, and our treasure for his honor. Let me remind you again of that phrase from towards the end of Romans. Well, it's not really towards the end. From him and through him and to him are all things. That is to say, there's no bit of you that doesn't get included in that statement. There's no part of your life that's excluded, shut away in a cupboard away from that statement. Because God is the God of all. All flesh, all life, all humanity, every bit of human life is his. Work, family, the whole thing, the whole deal. From him and through him and to him are all things. And living in the light of that is what stirs us to manage well, to steward well ourselves, our beings, our time, our relationships, our, abil our abilities, our gifts or talents, as the word is now coined, <laughs> to mean uh, what we can do, what we can get on with, for the glory of God. And as we look at next week, treasure. And that, again, when we get to next week, is a big matter of the heart. We, let me just make this headline for you. We are, to, we are told a number of times in Scripture to keep our hearts free from the love of money. Yeah. From him and through him and to him. Let's pray together, shall we? We hear the advice of Paul ringing out over these centuries. We make it our business while we're alive and before we die to please the Lord. So that we might, in our final accounting, hear reward, commendation. Paul himself said that he was expecting to be richly welcomed into Jesus' eternal kingdom. And Father, I pray that we may set our hearts on pleasing you, on pursuing the path of joy, making the choices that agree with your purpose for us, that we live in your hands, by your supply, by your grace, by everything you provide, happily, contentedly, and fruitfully for your pleasure. Well, that is our joy. The devil's lie is that we'll be miserable by being a wholehearted Christian. It's a lie. To follow you with all of our hearts is the path to full joy. Why don't you take a moment to pray?
You might do a little bit of counting with the Lord now. <laughs> Don't put it off. If you want something you want to talk to him about, do it right. Do it in this moment. While you do that, maybe there's someone here who has yet, not yet started to be a Christian. Well, it starts again with just a very simple prayer. I want to surrender. I want a submission to Jesus. I give my life to you, Lord Jesus. Don't think you can give him a corner of your being and say, that's all right now. He wants you, all of you. He wants to come and fill your life with himself. Fill the space on the world within which you live with his presence, with his wisdom, with his joy, and with his life, and with his peace. Why don't we ask him to do that? We invite him to do that. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Father, hear our prayers. We settle things before you. You take us very seriously at our words, Lord. So no prayer that's now just now been offered to you is unheard and unremarked. You have heard. You've heard what we said from a heart that's stirred, a conscience that's moved. And you will help from heaven to bring us into the acting out in real life of the things that we've seen and heard today. Holy Spirit, uh, Lord Jesus said that you would lead us into all the truth. Let truth that we've heard and experienced become our experience in life. Worked out in walk, in talk, in actions, in choices. For Jesus' honour we pray. Amen.